peace among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before he comes up and speaks. Father, thank you for Tom. Lord, thank you for his heart, for his vision for this church. Pray that as he speaks today, Lord, that the words that would come out from his mouth would be alive and just full of you, full of you, Father. That we'd be, uh, be able to see something that maybe we didn't notice before as we as we hear from from the word and from from how he's uh, taken time to study this word and uh, provide us with um, some, some points to think about as well. So give him wisdom this morning and give him clarity of thought. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Happy New Year, guys. Good to see you. I hope your Christmas break was refreshing and full of wonder and celebration. Anyone have a good good time? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, so we are now, guys, four weeks into a two-year journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew is an account of the life of Jesus written to a primarily Jewish community in first century Palestine. So why are we reading it, you may be asking. The purpose here is that Matthew had is the same purpose we have. We want to present to us, we want to think about, we want to look at the person of Jesus. And we want to, we want to look at him in such a way that elicits a response. We want to get to know Jesus, who he is, what he's about, what he's accomplished, and on and on the list could go. And as we do this, we believe that we're going to be brought face to face with not only Jesus, but we're going to have a, a, a time to look ourselves in the mirror as well. We as a community at Anchor Point have made it our goal to follow the way of Jesus, to become disciples of Jesus. We want that to be more than just what we have on our website or on the header of our Instagram account. We want this to be the way that we actually live our lives. We want to be with Jesus. We want to become like Jesus and we want to do what Jesus did. So as we head into our fifth week in the Gospel of Matthew, the goal is the same. May we get to know Jesus in real and transformative ways forever and ever and ever on into the future. But let today be a significant time of revelation. So for this to happen, though, we want to take time uh, to acknowledge that the word of God is true. What, what Andrew just read is true, that it, it is alive, and that it is the primary authority in the life of a follower of Jesus. That it is, in fact, a revelation of God himself in the reality he has created and sustains and in which you and I live and move and have our being. We come together and submit ourselves on our own versions of the story of what reality is and we trust Jesus for his. So as we read and study this story together this morning, may we be open and, and willing to be read by the story as well. 
May the Spirit of God illuminate to us who Jesus really is. And may he shake up and dislodge wrong thinking about God and the world and about ourselves. Or as John was talking about, may he help us clear off our glasses so we could see clearly. We do this in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to teach us about Jesus. And Jesus loves to point us to the Father. And so we, by faith, believe all, that script, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip us, his people, to do every good work. So, I would invite you now to be open to what the birth of Jesus could mean to you this morning. You may reject it, you may accept it, you may even need space to consider it, but I would implore you to not ignore it. So with humility and curiosity and wonder and in the power of the Spirit, let's dive in together. But before we do that, I've written a prayer for us to pray. You, do, you can join if you want. It'll be on the screen. Otherwise, I'll just pray it for you. But let's just open up our hands again, just in a posture of being willing to be open to God's Spirit moving amongst us. We need His help. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you now to read and be read by your word. We invite and welcome your presence to fill this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and help us notice. Come and help us celebrate. Come and help us wonder at the good news that Jesus Christ was born, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. That he is Emmanuel, God with us. May we know you as you really are. May we know ourselves as we really are. It's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So let's dive right into the story, guys. We, we dive right into the story again this morning. Um, over the last uh, few weeks, over the last month, we've learned some of the backstory of Matthew's gospel. That Israel, the chosen people of God, were waiting for the arrival of a king from the line of David who would establish an eternal throne whose rule and reign would be a blessing to the entire world. So Matthew traces that entire story to the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. So let's take a second to identify the characters and the, the bit of narrative that we read this morning. So let's start with Jesus. Uh, it starts very in the beginning of verse 1. Uh, Matthew just says this, Jesus was born. Uh, so this, this statement says a lot. The actual birthday of Jesus could have been a point of discussion for you around the table at your dinner, Christmas dinner table, maybe. I know my kids are like, is it actually Jesus's birthday today? Well, let's talk about this, buddy. So um, we, we can't really say exactly when Jesus's birthday was. There's much scholarly debate on the topic of Jesus's birthday. But we do know that the timeline of this story would indicate that Jesus is under two years old as this is being written or the, at this part of the story. So if you're wondering if the nativity story got it right with the wise men showing up the night of his birth, no, they missed the point. They missed the mark there. Nonetheless, the point is this. Jesus really was born, and he was born in real time and in real space. Okay, so Matthew introduced us to Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus as the Savior of the world. And remember, that his name literally means Yahweh saves. And Jesus as Emmanuel, or God, with us. He's the one who will establish the kingdom of God as the King of kings, whose rule and reign will restore blessing to all of God's creation. So Jesus is the Son of God. He is Yahweh saves. He is Emmanuel, God, with us. That is who was born. Jesus is the one that Israel and the whole world has been waiting for, whether they know it or not. So Matthew is pointing out and continuing to build the case that Jesus is, in fact, the King of the Jews. 
But as we read, there seems to be another king in the story, King Herod. There was another king of the Jews on the throne at this point in history, one Herod the Great. Herod was, in fact, only half Jewish. He was an Idumean, which means he was half Jewish and half Arab. And his spot on the throne was largely due to his friendship with the occupying forces of Rome. Bit of a puppet king. His place as king was a precarious one. So his throne was vulnerable to the claims of a king of the true line of David. So this potential and context led him to be quite brittle and reactive to any possible threat to his rule and his reign. So it is reported that he was a man who slaughtered the last remnants of the dynasty that ruled before him. He put to death half of the Sanhedrin, killed 300 court officers, executed his wife and mother-in-law and three sons. And as he lay dying, he arranged for all the notable men of Jerusalem to be assembled in the Hippodrome and killed as soon as his own death was announced so that people might weep instead of rejoice on the day of his death. This is King Herod. Think of like Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Next, we are introduced to the wise men or the Magos. Originally the title of a Persian priestly caste who played an important role in advising the king. It was applied more widely to learned men and priests who specialized in astrology and the interpretation of dreams, and in some cases, magical arts. Anyone remember Miss Cleo? No? The lady you could call on the phone and she'd read your future? Yeah. Think of male versions of Miss Cleo. So most likely the Magi came from the east in Babylon. And at this point in history, astrology would have been developed into some type of sophisticated system in Babylonia. So this influence of astrology and magicians would have been spreading throughout the land. Um, They would have been incredibly wealthy as their trip would have been a lengthy one and would have been quite the spectacle to observe. Some scholars suggest that the prophet Daniel's worship of Yahweh in Babylon would have its lingering effect as some of the Magi would have been aware of or even worshipped the God of Israel. They would be considered Gentiles though, and this could explain the wise men's familiarity with the prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to the birth of Jesus. These are the Magi, astrologers, magicians, Gentiles. And then lastly, we're introduced to uh, the religious leaders or leading priests and teachers of religious law. Uh, These were people who would maintain the day-to-day activities of the temple, working to ensure the people of Israel held up their end of the covenant. They would be incredibly well-versed in the story of Scripture and the prophecies all pointing to the arrival of the Messiah. These are the religious leaders, teachers, scribes, and priests. So what is God wanting to teach us? What is God wanting to reveal to us in this story today? Let's read again from the teaching text. Um, Let's read from verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. As was everyone in Jerusalem, he called a meeting to the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, "Uh, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? We are all looking for God. All of us. Every person you have ever met, every person you will ever meet, we are looking for God. We read here that the wise men have come looking and searching for the newborn king of the Jews. They've come from afar. They've followed an undefinable God-ordained and designed phenomenon, be it Nova, a comet, or a planetary conjunction. Nonetheless, they're on a quest to find this king. 
They've sacrificed time and energy and finances and mental space and capacity to come find God. They, we read, are full of wonder and curiosity and hunger. The Magi are seeking after a God to worship. This is in stark contrast to what we read about King Herod. Herod, we read, is deeply disturbed or troubled or terrified or stirred up by the possibility of the idea of another king. He is headed into an anxiety-driven pursuit of knowledge about the one who could take away his throne, consistently and persistently asking details about the details of the one the wise men have come to worship. Herod, we will read later on, is seeking to destroy God. Herod seeks the counsel of the religious leaders of the time in regards to the supposed king of the Jews. They, being experts in the prophecies and story of God, they see the signs pointing to the arrival being in Bethlehem, a mere 10 kilometers from Jerusalem, but they stay put. They couldn't be bothered to investigate further. The religious leader's current indifference will later fester to a murderous conclusion. In our search for God, some of us look inward and promote the self up a few notches to God. Some of us make our careers or our children into God's. You see, we are hardwired for relationship with God. But so often we latch onto things less than God and are unable to find real meaning or purpose or fulfillment with these lesser gods in, the, in his place. It reminds me of the book, Are You My Mother? Any parent ever read this or remember reading this book as a kid? The storyline is that there is a bird who pops through its shell and its mother is out collecting food. So he's yet to really meet his mother. So he goes on this quest, he travels around and begins asking these other things in creation, are you my mother? He asks a kitten, a hen, a dog, a cow, a boat, an airplane, and a bulldozer he calls the snort. Until finally his search comes up empty and he heads back to the nest where his mother promptly returns and she asks him, do you know who I am? And he realizes that this is his mother. We often do the same things. Are you my God? Are you my God? Are you my God? Yes, we are all looking for God, but God is also revealing himself to us. Maybe we're just not looking in the right place. Maybe we're fixated on the wrong things. We read in the story that God reveals himself in whatever way he chooses. I remember one of my friends from YWAM telling me her story of meeting Jesus while she was on an ecstasy trip at a rave. Yeah, she literally sobered up immediately and gave her life to following Jesus and became a missionary. Incredible. Or there's the story of Lonnie Frisbee, one of the founders of the Jesus People Movement, who had a similar story of God speaking to him while he was on an acid trip. Now, to be clear, I'm not advocating that we start dropping acid or going to raves, but I am suggesting that God can speak however and whenever he would like to. <laughs> Christmas Eve was a bit of a rave. We had, we had glow sticks. The point I'm trying to make, guys, is this. We are all searching for God. And God often is speaking to us. He's also looking for us in the ordinary, mundane parts of our lives. If only we would take the time to listen. I wonder how different our lives would actually be. For the wise men, who were in fact astrologers, they spent tons of time fixing their eyes on the stars. God spoke, chose to speak to them in the stars. For the religious leaders who so often had their eyes and heads buried in scrolls, he spoke through the scriptures. Both ordinary, familiar parts of their lives became infused and co-opted with a much bigger and more meaningful story. Could it be that God is trying to speak to you in and through your ordinary life? Your working, your cooking, 
you're reading, you're watching, you're building, you're teaching the mundanity of life in Rurban Alliston. As the author Parker Palmer says, let your life speak. Yes, we are all looking for God, but God is also revealing himself to us. Maybe we're just not looking low enough. The rest of this text, it reveals the response of each of these characters to the fact that Jesus was born. That's the whole beginning phrase, right? Jesus was born. Now what are we going to do about it? I think there are some things that we can learn from each of these characters if we're open. The way I read this scripture, there seem to be three responses lived out. Apathy, hostility, and worship. So let's just look at each one of those things. We as followers of Jesus, a lot of us grew up in the church that are in this room regardless of, of, of the fact if you did or didn't grow up in the church, we all need to be on constant guard of allowing apathy to creep into our discipleship to Jesus. It's so easy to become complacent or indifferent to so much of the life God is calling us to. You see, there is a law of, of growth and decay that actually applies here. If we're not growing, we're actually dying. And not the good kind of dying in this situation. We're talking about literally withering away. It takes work for us to return to our first love, to respond to the wonder of the real life Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can settle for the idea of something rather than the real thing itself. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus addresses the religious leaders with these words. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to receive this life. So may it never be said of us, that we refuse to come and receive the life, the eternal kind of life now as Jesus invites us to know and be known by him. We can learn from the religious leader's apathy. We see in King Herod a different response. We see the, the response of hostility. You see, in each of us, if we're honest, there is a civil war going on. The battle of the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. There's a little bit of Herod in all of us. You see, our throne is potentially going to be toppled. So this leads to the exhausting work of constant effort and self-protection. The need for control that inevitably, inevitably becomes brittle and breaks and leaks. There's a great line from a show I've been watching called Andor, um, based on the Star Wars world. If you want to talk about it after, come find me. But commenting on the evil empire's overreaction to something, the main character had this line that just struck me. He said this, power doesn't panic. There can be, and so often we're, we're grasping for, for power and we're panicking about it. There can be a hostile response in our flesh to the arrival of King Jesus, a battle for authority and autonomy. We panic and we grasp for control. The antidote here is humility. Got some news for you guys. You and I, we are bad kings and queens. Our definition of good and evil is way off. And there is no one who can lead themselves to real life except for Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. May we learn to humble ourselves and ask for his help daily. The final response, the one that we all know is the right answer, is the response of worship. We read later on in the text, uh, and the star they had seen in the east guided the wise men to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Magi, 
the least likely, they show us the way here. These Gentiles, these least qualified, least likely of the lot, pursued God. They saw and considered Jesus and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They got, they got it. They gave us a picture of a proper response to an encounter with the real life Jesus, what it could actually look like. They bowed down, they worshipped, they opened up, and they gave. They worshipped the King of Kings who would restore blessing to all creation, even Gentile magicians from Babylon. So as we will learn in the coming years as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, this is often how things work out in the kingdom of God. The least likely are the ones who often get it first. God's kingdom is right side up. We often think it's upside down, but it is actually right side up. May we learn from the Magi. Jesus' ministry, guys, it begins with him announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God and inviting us to reconsider our lives in light of this reality. This is life-altering news. This announcement echoes into the present day, into this very room this morning. Jesus is born. He is the King of Kings. He is the one you've been waiting for. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. How will you respond to this today? Will you choose the path of indifference, like the religious leaders in the story? Will you look for ways to destroy the possibility of someone else taking the throne in your life? Or will you consider the possibility that Jesus really is who he says he is, and fall down in worship and give up the best you have to offer, just like the Magi did? The good news is not only that Jesus was born, but that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again. Jesus, the Son of God, came down from heaven and he walked among us. Augustine of Hippo says this, Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Augustine of Hippo. In doing so, Jesus conquered everything that could stand in the way of us fully knowing and being known by God. All our sin, our shame, our death, our brokenness, he took into himself on the cross. But then three days later, Jesus rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus triumphs over death and brings us with him. This is the good news. Jesus lived and died and rose again, and he brought us with him. He has done away with anything and everything that could keep you from encountering him as he really is in your everyday, ordinary life. He is real. He is closer than you could ever imagine. And chances are he is speaking to you in your everyday language if you just take the time to consider him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So the question I'd like to leave you with this morning is simply this. How will you respond to Jesus' presence? And I just want to close with prayer, and then we're going to head into a time of communion. So if you bow your heads, I just want to pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you are closer than we even know. Where can we go from your presence? We ask today for a keen awareness of your nearness, of your life, and of your light. As we encounter you, we ask that we would come to you and receive life, that we would humbly surrender to you and your kingdom, and that we would worship you by living our everyday lives with a sense of deep gratitude and hope for a future where heaven and earth are reunited and where we dwell together with you and one another in perfect harmony. It's in you we live and move 
and have our being. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Saying about what the bread and the juice are representing. 